And I realized like a lot of the opportunities that I missed were because I didn't know how to communicate. I, I didn't really learn how to communicate until I got with my wife and, and it took her kind of getting me to understand you do everything's in your head and you assume the other person thinks like you, but they don't. Um, and once I started communicating better, it was like my life opened up. I'd love to 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 get into it, but before we do, um, you know, obviously, if you can introduce yourself to someone who has no idea who you are, um, okay. that'd be a great way to start, and then we'll get into kind of your story, your history, and and I'm really excited to hear about the last few years, but I don't want to do a injustice to the previous years. So, right. who is Murat? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well. My name is Murad Berenstein. Uh, I live in New York City. Uh, I am a, a proud immigrant. I was born in Odessa, Ukraine. I uh, came here when I was seven years old with my family. Um, I grew up in New York, lived in Ohio for a little bit in, in the sort of middle school day. So I got to experience middle America, um, which I think all immigrants should at some point. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I I finished junior high, high school, college, everything in New York. I've been living in New York ever since. My family lives in New York. Um, went to Columbia University. Uh, did not know what I wanted to do. Was obsessed with music. Was reading every article, every magazine. I mean, I consider myself sort of part Gen X, part Gen Y, because I think Gen X is when you grow up watching MTV after school every day right and 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 buying physical magazines right because it's pre-internet it's pre-youtube it's pre-blogs um and so i was just obsessed i loved hip-hop i was obsessed with the with the moguls right the jays the puffies the, the guys that started these enterprises and companies and built empires and so entrepreneurship is something that was always very attractive to me and i kind of just like in my head married the two i just felt like music and entrepreneurship just like went together and so I did not know how to begin a career in music. Uh, my whole sort of life, I was guided into the maths and sciences and engineering and, and you know, computer science and that kind of stuff. Um, I think immigrants of all backgrounds face that. <laughs> um, I don't think that was just unique to, to me. I know you're laughing too, so you, you relate. Um, but I got this incredible opportunity to go work for Art Garfunkel right after, right after Columbia. And so I, it was a paid role and I had no previous experience, zero. And so I went to work as this legend's personal assistant and, and tour manager. <laughs> and I had no idea what I was doing. And it was incredibly tough, but you learn, you know, you, you, you get thrown into the deep end of the pool. You figure out how to swim, right? You're not, you're gonna, you're gonna make it. And so I spent a year and a half on the road, um, but really got to see it at like a high level. Um, because of who he is, uh, who he was, right? Because of the kinds of tours we were able to get, the kinds of budgets we had, right? Just to kind of see touring at, at a high level, I think is really, really cool. Um, and fell in love, right? I was like, okay, this is for me. Um, not just touring, just everything, right? This is exactly for me. This is what I was looking for. This is what I'm going to pursue my career in. And I fell in love specifically with sync licensing because I saw him do it at the highest level. I mean, Simon and Garfunkel music gets licensed for seven figures, right? And it's timeless music and it's and it's these sort of cultural moments that happen, right? And so I was like, I want to learn more about that. And so what ended up happening was once I left that 
uh, position, I just kind of went out on my own and I started looking for artists that I can manage because management kind of came naturally to me. Just kind of starting out as a personal assistant, I think management kind of becomes the through point there, right? Because you're really just helping. Um, and I realized that if I find artists that are able to create music that we can license, right? That the music is either sample free or we control all of it or uh, what have you, we can make uh, sort of, we can find a means to an end this way and we can use sync licensing, um, which I guess for the audience we can say is when music gets placed into television, film, video or any kind of visual medium, um, there's 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 fees, right? There's royalties, there's upfront fees that come with that and they're great. And so we were able to uh, sort of build a business. And so I started building my management company at the time. It was called Hit Me Music. Um, still own the logo and, and I still love the name and I don't know what I'll do with it one day. Um, but um, as we were kind of building and building and building and making our name, um, this incredible opportunity came my way. I was only 28 and I was asked to join the faculty at the Clive Davis Institute uh, of Recorded Music, which at the time was a new-ish program um, that Clive had started in 2003. Um, and it was and is currently, it's about to hit 20 years, gosh, it's an industry program. It's a four-year degree at the Tisch School of the Arts at NYU. Um, and it comes in addition to the, to the NYU Music Business Program. Um, it's not a conservatory, it's an entrepreneurial program. So uh, kids like myself could have come in and applied if I wanted to be a manager or on the business side, but it does lean heavily into the artist. There's you know 90 something percent of the student body uh, probably still to this day is would identify as artists, producers, creators, DJs. Now it's sort of everyone's a multi-hyphenate. Um, but I spent seven, eight years there. Uh, I was running our high school programs, which I'm really proud of. Uh, we had two programs that I ran, one in the spring called Future Music Moguls, which was a super, it was a super great program. It was free. Um, it was uh, for kids in the New York area who can spend Saturdays with us and really just receive a free semester at NYU, which is kind of unheard of. Um, and then I ran a summer in residence camp, which was a bit larger in scope. It wasn't free. It received uh, a college credit. Parents would have to pay for their, for their kids to uh, spend four weeks in New York. And it was much bigger in scope. We were able to go see massive concerts and meet a-list artist, but Future Music Moguls got to do that as well. I mean, our big moment was, and I should just say at the college level, I taught music business topics. So I taught artist management. I taught, which is very difficult to teach, um, as you would imagine. I taught music licensing, um, professional development, which was when our students came out of the program and were seeking real life opportunities, jobs, internships, starting businesses. Um, my biggest moment, I think it's the school's biggest moment, um, happened when uh, I spent two years uh, chasing Pharrell, um, chasing his team, just being persistent. And uh, I just thought that he would be the perfect person to to be a guest, right? Um, and we got him and he came and we we made a big thing out of it. He was our artist in residence and we got the the whole university involved. And it was just, it was just big, big, big. But um, created a scholarship for the summer high school camp, which uh, many people don't know about because one of the events that he did with us kind of became news, uh, became national news, international news. Um, we did a masterclass with Pharrell and Bob Power. Uh, for those that don't know, Bob Power is a legend. He was the, some consider him a, a you know, fifth member of Tribe. Uh, he was Tribe Call Quest's engineer. He's worked with 
everyone from Tribe to D'Angelo. He's a full-time faculty uh, at, uh, at Claude Davis Institute, dear friend, former colleague. And so we paired up Bob and Pharrell because they, you know, they went back. They had years of history. Um, and we asked three of our graduating seniors who were picked based on submission to uh, play a song on camera to Pharrell and Bob and get feedback. And one of those students was uh, a young lady named Maggie Rogers, and she kind of just took everything over. She played him a song called Alaska. Uh, he reacted really, really well. They they engaged in conversation um, and they just had this moment, right? And it was captured on video and then it was later uploaded to YouTube. Um, it was one of the first few videos on Pharrell's channel at the time. And it went viral. It went really, really viral. Gosh, the internet just kind of took over. And so Maggie became a star. Uh, she became a massive, massive star. There was a big bidding war. You've seen it before. Um, everyone was just after this girl. And, you know, years later, she was the first alum to play SNL. She was nominated for Best New Artist at the Grammy. She um, she sadly lost to, to Billy. I think anyone nominated that year would have sadly <laughs> would have probably lost to Billy. Um, but she's just been like, you know, the first of many. She she was a Coachella headliner most recently. Um, she's just been doing amazing, amazing stuff. But there's so many other students that came out of the program that I'm really, really proud of that have also been doing massive, massive things. Um, one was literally a future music mogul, which just warms my heart. Her name is Nisha Charles. Um, and she is just one of the most incredible songwriters in the game. She's already won three Grammys. She's been nominated for I've, I've lost count. I mean, I think it's like 11 or 12. Um, she writes for Beyonce. She writes for SZA. She writes for uh, just everybody. The Carters, Cardi. Uh, I mean, she has hits and hits and hits and hits. And uh, she might make history. She is in the new category for uh, Songwriter of the Year, which is a brand new Grammys category. Um, and she's one of the five nominees in it. And she's up against people like The Dream, <laughs> which is like crazy. She's like 25 years old. Um, so I'm rooting for her every day. Um, other notable alums are Take a Day Trip, of course, with all of their success, with working with artists like Little Nas X, um, Emily Warren. Um, there are some some heavy hitters that, that came out of the program and continue to come out of the program. Um, and so I left my post in 2018. And uh, I continued to manage my clients for a little bit longer. And then I just found myself, like some managers do, uh, timing out of management. You know, just it happens. You, you just wake up one day and you feel like it's no longer something you could pursue. You feel like change is needed. You feel like it's just, it's just not happening. It happens. It happens in business partnerships. It happens in relationships. It happens in artists and management relationships all the time. And so... Um, I stopped managing and uh, I made my goal to uh, to join one of the tech giants <laughs> and looking at what's happening now. <laughs> I'm like, oh, maybe it was for the best that I never got through <laughs> those interviews and landed because, gosh, they just all had a, a massacre. Right. Um, and so what I wanted to do is I wanted to bring my relationships and uh, my capacity for building partnerships and educating even. Right. Um, to a meta or a YouTube music or a, a Amazon. And, and a part of me still does, right? There's still great companies out there. It's just that I guess we're facing a weird time and I don't know, I don't know if anyone knows what happened, but 
hopefully all this crazy layoffs and all that stuff will turn around somehow and new tech companies will form, right? Or startups will form or whatever the positive is in all of this. Uh, but I ended up going to a boutique uh, tech app called Rune. And I started that job on March 1 of 2020. And uh, luckily, the company was already remote. It was a, a distributed company. Um, most people have never even met each other in real life. Um, and I took on the role of music partnerships, artist relations, and uh, I built up our social, I built up our editorial, uh, our culture, even our education initiatives. And I worked for about a year and a half, maybe going on two years. And uh, it, it is a young company. It is a startup. It just things didn't work out. A year ago, I left part of ways. Um, and then I was sort of taking on projects and trying to figure out what to do and and consulting. And my dear friend, Nikki Mirasola, whom I adore, uh, she was our events director at the Clyde Davis Institute. And we worked on Pharrell together and we worked on many, many awesome events together at NYU. Um, she is a senior producer in-house at Production Glue, which is an award-winning uh, production company. Um, they're responsible for some of the biggest events on the planet. Uh, Govball in the States, uh, Virgin Galactic launches um, in Europe, uh, F1, all kinds of massive events. And uh, she called me and she was like, I have a role on our team for Saudi Arabia. I'm like, yo, for what? <laughs> and she's like, here are the details. It's, you're perfect for it. It's a strategic partnerships role. Um, and we're building, and I knew what she, I knew that they did it already. This was year two. So I saw her do it on Instagram. Right. And so I knew what she was talking about. I was just like, oh my God, Saudi, what, <laughs> what, what did you just say? Uh, which I think is most people's reaction, right? Like you hear Saudi Arabia, you're like, oh my God, how, <laughs> how do you even go there? Um, and she's like, if you want it, it's yours. The client loves you. Um, the catch is you're going to work remotely from New York. And then in the last two months, you're going to live and work on site in, in Riyadh. I was like, great. I was like, Nikki, do they know I'm Jewish? Am I allowed in the country? Like, <laughs> I want to make sure I'm good. She's like, you're good. Um, so that began a, a life altering, life changing, transformative adventure that I spent, um, the last seven months on. So um, the client that hired Production Glue is called Middle Beast, um, which is a really cool name. It's a really great play on Middle East. And uh, if you check out their uh, website and their properties, they do a great job of branding the word beast. Um, for example, when they have events, instead of doing VIP, they call it VIB, right? Very important beast. So they do these cool, fun things, very hip, very cool. Um, but they're new, right? They've been around for only a few years. To give you a little bit of context, um, I learned this on the way there. I didn't, I don't proclaim to be a Middle Eastern expert by any stretch of the imagination. This is all new to me. Uh, but in 2018, Saudi Arabia opened up. Um, women received some rights in the sense that they could work and they could function, they could exist, um, they can drive. Uh, they didn't get all the rights, but they got some rights. Uh, the country opened up as far as tourism goes. Um, people were allowed to visit right? Um, the country wants people to visit. The country wants people to experience the beauty of the country, to eat the food, to stay in the hotels, to, to mingle and to do stuff. But now you have to build the stuff to do, right? And so they deployed insane, 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 insane amounts of resources into culture, right? Into creating tourism for Saudi Arabia and to making it a destination in the same way that Dubai is a destination, Qatar is a destination, right? Especially since we just saw where the World Cup was held. 
Um, and so they said, we're going to do music. We're going to do sports. We're going to do car racing. We're going to do golf. We're going to do, we're going to do it all. We're just going to build cool things and we're going to invite people to come. So anyone, anyone can come, right? You can get your visa approved on the site. You can get it upon entry into the country. Um, so we are part of the music initiative, right? Um, so Middle Beast brought brought in Production Glue, a world uh, a, a world known and beloved company that produces massive events uh, to build a few things. And I was part of the team that was involved in two specific things. Uh, my main role was um, I held uh, uh, I led strategic partnerships for XP, and XP is a three day music education conference. Uh, no different than South by Southwest, no different than Medem, no different than Mondo in New York. Um, and, and it aims to be those things of the MENA region, right, of the Middle East. And then my broader team worked on uh, the music festival called Soundstorm, right? And so I wasn't involved directly with Soundstorm, my, my team was, but I got a chance to go see it immediately after we were done with our um, with our conference. And so I spent, uh, we went out there for a few days last summer uh, to meet the team. The team was super global. A lot of events, people from every part of the corner of the earth, um, which was really great. It was super international. Um, and then we worked remotely from everywhere we were. And then on November 4th, I flew out to Riyadh and I was there for 34 days um, living in a Hilton and uh, working excruciatingly long hours, you know, event schedule, right? And as you're getting closer and closer and closer, um, virtually no days off. Um, and just working towards a common goal, working side by side with the client, working with the rest of the production glue team. I mean, we had so many other partners and vendors on board. Um, but it was a three-day conference. It featured 220 plus daytime speakers, uh, which is quite a lot. Uh, and we're talking about folks from the States. We're talking about folks from Europe. We're talking about folks from the region. Um, my role was to bring in the music brands, right? Uh, Spotify, uh, YouTube Music, uh, Apple Music, Sony Music, uh, Angami, which is the music streaming service of the Middle East, um, Dolby. And of course, I had to, I could not not do it. I had to bring Empire in because I believe Empire is one of the most successful and coolest companies in the States. Um, and it was founded and it's run by Middle Eastern immigrants, right? And so to me, culturally, I wanted the, the Saudis to see people that look like them being successful in the main market, right? And doing it at the highest level. Because when you see someone that looks like you're doing it, you tell yourself you can do it as well. Right. And so music is new. Uh, music pre-2018, uh, movies, music, culture uh, was quite literally illegal uh, in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Um, to just give you context, um, we did this in Riyadh. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to see anything outside of Riyadh. Uh, I would love to see other parts of the country. It's stunning. Uh, but to this day, there are no music venues in Riyadh. They haven't been built yet. Right. And so the conference and the festival and all these things that we do as events are really, really important because it's the only place people can go see their favorite artists play, right? And not even all their favorite artists. This was just year two. This is just like baby steps, right? Um, the very first movie, this is just such a fun fact and this like blows people's minds. The very first movie that was allowed after the ban on movies was lifted in Saudi Arabia was Black Panther. And that is amazing right because it's an amazing movie but that also shows you how recent 
this change happen because it's it's a new movie right it's it, it black panther came out in what 2018 17 but we're talking a few years we're not talking like the godfather we're not talking home alone we're not talking like the clap you know we're talking like a movie that came out in the last four or five years right um there are movie theaters uh so that's that's there but music has a long way to go and so our our music education conference um was there to sort of fill that void and the festival was there to fill that void so we had 220 plus speakers during the daytime we also had an entire nighttime initiative we had five stages uh emerging artists were invited to perform um not just from Saudi but from the from the MENA countries um we had about 130 plus nighttime performers so our little conference felt like a festival <laughs> we're talking about DJs dancers um drum drum circles uh we we had uh, a yoga activation we we did activations with brands uh we had a really cool dolby activation that i helped build with our dolby partners which was really just fun you were able to walk into this space and just really experience music in dolby right put on headphones and like listen to something coming out of apple music or listen to something coming out of angami which are the streamers that support the the technology uh, we also had just really incredible art installations um in addition to the Spotify teams and the Empire folks, um, who all were just gracious and generous with their times, they were all uh, keen on doing meet the teams and networking events and workshops and panels and work and just conversations, Q&As, everything you would expect um, out of a conference. Um, our keynote sort of headline speaker was uh, Dr. Matthew Knowles, uh, which was really, really cool and fun. And he was great. And he's a wealth of knowledge, right? Um, Amy Thompson was another one, um, Ghazi, who founded Empire. Um, and on our last day, uh, we just sort of had this crazy, crazy surprise that I don't know how we pulled off, but we pulled it off. Um, DJ Khaled was already in town because he was booked to headline. He was one of the three headliners of Soundstorm, the festival, which was immediately following us, right? Uh, the three headliners were Post Malone, DJ Khaled and Friends, wait till I tell you who the friends are, and Bruno Mars, right? And Friends was revealed, and it could have been its own festival because Friends was Future, T.I., Busta Rhymes, Rick Ross, and Fat Joe. <laughs> so I made the same face when I saw the Friends being revealed. I was like, oh my God, that's like its own headlining lineup, right? And then you had the sort of the EDM gods right because last year was 100 percent edm but hardwell afrojack you had all those big names as well because edm is a very big thing in that part of the world um i think around 1200 people attended uh xp uh just to give you an idea of scale and scope six hundred thousand people attended soundstorm um and they were in different locations soundstorm was built in the middle of the desert sort of like coachella style um just because a city has to be erected for for soundstorm to happen right it's one of the biggest stages ever built i mean last year they won the guinness award for that this year i think they're trying to top it and i'm sure they did it looked absolutely unreal um but uh xp took place in town and uh and so it was way more accessible um but a different different approach right xp was more for learning and for the emerging and soundstorm was just like you get to go and be in a safe space and you get to see some of your favorite artists play right some because you have to next year invite others and the following year invite others um but because Khaled was in town we leveraged that relationship and we got him to 
we got him to pull up and he came on the last night of XP. Uh, he came with Fat Joe. Uh, he came with Larry Jackson. Um, he came with Lenny S. Um, Nelly from Rock Nation, of course. Uh, they came in a 13 car motorcade of Phantom Rolls Royces. <laughs> it's how you move. <laughs> when you're DJ Khaled, it's how you move when you're in Saudi Arabia. That's just, that's just what it's going to be. Um, and so... He was great. You know, we we put together a, a panel, uh, him, Joe, Larry. Um, and by the way, I got a chance to chat with Larry a little bit. I think everyone's excited to see what Larry does next. Um, he he left Apple uh, this just this past fall. Um, and, uh, you know, they gave career advice. They gave networking advice. They big them up. Right. Khaled in his wonderful way is really just beaming positivity he's really just out there saying you can do it and that's what he did fat joe said to them to the to the people sitting to the kids watching them talk you know to kids who had questions they were like you guys can do it too right it's not god did because everyone runs around and kind of yells that catchphrase right Khaled's album and he changed it to saudi did right and just to see the impact it had on the conference attendees to see the impact it had on the kids I was walking with Larry, just showing him the activations. I was walking around with Lenny, showing him all the cool stuff we build. And kids would come up to them and say, hey, I'm, I'm starting a record label. I'm starting a production company. I'm starting a podcast. I'm starting a management firm. And they were just very gracious, right? And here's my email. Send me the deck. Give me a call when you're ready. I'd love to give you feedback, right? And that gave me goosebumps, but it also was answered my question of the why. Like, I knew why I was there. I said yes to an incredible opportunity. Of course, I need. I wanted and needed the job, but it really helped to to lock that in after an excruciatingly difficult month and a half of working on this on site. Um, just to see that, right? Just to know that a lot of this we take for granted, right? We were able to do this every day at NYU. I mean, quite literally, Lenny was a guest of mine in, in artist management uh, in the artist management class that I taught. We've had Khaled come to NYU, right? Um, we we do Zooms when we can't, we used to do Zooms when we couldn't do, not Zooms, but Skype, it was kind of pre-Zooms, but like it was just an everyday occurrence to be able to get these folks to talk to the students at NYU and to see these Q&As and to see these stories evolve into, oh, this person was attending this person's talk and now this person is doing this, right? It's just, it's the beginning days of that for, for Saudi Arabia, right? It's literally year two in terms of them doing this. And to see that in its early stages and to see them finally have access, right, was just, I think, really rewarding, right, and really, really important. And then a few days later, going to the festival, just seeing kids sing along to Bruno Mars, right, seeing people dance to literally secular music, right, um, even seeing people hold hands, right, like that's not allowed technically in the country, but at the festival, that was a platform for that, that was a safe space, if you will, just to see these little baby steps take place when they couldn't exist previously. And I know, look, we faced a lot of, we got a lot of no's, right? There was a lot of people we reached out to. And when we said Saudi Arabia, they said, absolutely not, categorically no. And we never pushed back, right? That was our policy. Um, we never played that game of comparing anything or convincing anything or getting into the geopolitical talk. It was just like, cool, if it's a no for you. It's a no for you. No problem. Hopefully that no will change into a yes in the next five years. That's the goal, right? Super respect anyone not wanting to go there. 
for whatever reasons, they're super valid, right? But also having seen it firsthand, I understand that music, culture, movies pushes these things forward, right? It pushes progressiveness forward. It just does. It's one of the things that pushes it forward, right? And someone has to help to do that. Someone has to help bring that there, right? And so that for me kind of locked it in. Um, I'm in like a sort of, I'm a free agent right now. My We finished in December. Uh, a couple of teammates and myself, we went traveling in the region afterwards. Um, that was just awesome. We went to Egypt, uh, went to Jordan, went to Dubai, Abu Dhabi. It was just incredible to see. I mean, quite literally, I saw wonders of the world, like the pyramids of Giza or the ancient city of Petra. <laughs> um, and that was an amazing way to sort of cap off the year and to sort of, you know, sort of our own prize to ourselves after finishing a difficult project. Um, and then I came back home to New York to where it gets dark at 4 p.m. on the East Coast, as you know. <laughs> There's like no sunlight. Um, and yeah, I'm looking for my next adventure. I'm trying to figure it out. Um, if uh, Middle Beast or Production Glue invites me back for, for next year. Uh, it, it's so, so just to give it a little bit more context uh, before we move on, um, this is part of the Saudi 2030 plan, right? Uh, so XP is going to happen next year. Soundstorm is going to happen. These things are just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but now there's wrestling, right? They just acquired WWE. There's soccer, right? They're signing literally some of the best soccer players on the planet. Um, there's so many other things happening there, right? So if I'm asked back in any capacity for any kind of role that can kind of help, I would absolutely do it in a heartbeat. I would know what to expect. I would probably travel and see more countries that I haven't seen. Um, but that hasn't happened yet. So I'm sort of in this like kind of interesting place where I just don't know what's going to happen. Um, I know I can't apply to any sort of jobs in big tech because big tech just set itself on fire. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's been kind of the story. I think these last two months have been like the most, you know, intense, the most interesting, um, just it was just jam-packed in, 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 in a short period of time. But, you know, if a year ago we had this conversation and you told me, hey, dude, you know, you're going to end up in Saudi Arabia. I'd be like, what? <laughs> so that's another thing, you know, just kind of lower the expectations a little bit. I'm just speaking to myself now, right? Because you just never know what could come your way. You never know where you could be invited to go and participate in or work on. And so just always good to just like keep your, you know, eyes and ears, but also your mind and heart open, right? Man. It's a very long intro. <laughs> oh, yes. Man, thank you so much because I knew bits and pieces, right? Like we we've talked over the years and like I knew but I, I had no idea you started with uh you or one, you started with uh Art Garfunkel as a tour manager. Like, you know, I've been a tour manager before, but you started as as high as you can get with no experience. So like yeah. Walk me through how that even comes about. How do you get that gig? Well, the way I got the gig is when I was, so I went to Columbia uh, and when I was in college, um, I was involved with a student club called CORE, which exists to this day. And CORE stands for Columbia Organization of Rising Entrepreneurs. So it was all things entrepreneurship. Um, we would invite 
uh, VCs, we would invite folks like Mark Cuban, we would invite um, people to participate in business plan competitions, and we would have panels and speakers, and we would just really, really enjoy it. I mean, I got to be honest, I think I enjoyed my work with CORE more than I did going to class. It was just one of those fun things. I didn't get credit for it. Um, it was just passion, right? It was just a fun thing to do. Um, my senior year, they reassigned us to the career center from student services or student affairs, which is where most undergrad clubs are. And they figured we're just more aligned with jobs, right? And so we became really close with the administrators of the career center. We became friends with them. They looked after us. Um, and then fast forward, I graduate. And a few months later, I get an email from my friend at the career center. And the email was cryptic as hell. And it said, uh, a famous Columbia alum is looking to uh, fill a personal assistant position, paid role, uh, involves travel, involves being around celebrities. It, did, it just said it had all these cool catchphrases, but it didn't say who and didn't say what line of work. So I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm back home after college. I mean, I'm just trying to figure it out. Do I get an internship? What, like, what do I go? I don't, I didn't have you. I didn't have me. I didn't have this. Right. Um, and so I answer the email and I send in whatever resume I had at the time. And uh, it turned out to be our Garfunkel. <laughs> He's a famous Olympia alum. And so I got the job. Right. Uh, once I found out who was my friend at the career center, you know, put me up for it. Right. And the reason the career center is important is because later I asked Art, I was like, how did you even like, how did this, where is the other end of this connection? And he left Columbia. That was, that was his alma mater. And so when the time came to find a new PA, he told his manager at the time, he said, listen, let's get a recent Columbia grad. And so his manager picked up the phone, called the main line in Columbia. <laughs> And they routed the call to the career center, <laughs> which is where, which is where students and recent grads get jobs. And so that connection was made. So my official role, my official title wasn't actually tour manager, right? It was personal assistant. So the first couple of tours I went on, I we had a tour manager. So I saw what that person did and I got to learn a little bit. There was, I'll be very respectful about how things went in our camp. Um, for no fault of their own, tour managers just would sometimes get fired. <laughs> and when that would happen, um, I was asked to do their job. <laughs> I wasn't paid additionally to do their job, but I was asked to fill in until another tour manager arrived. And so I just had to just figure it out, right? You saw someone do it and you go, okay, they, they took care of flights, hotels, and they advanced shows, and they did this and this and third. And you're just, okay, I can do it too. Right. You have to see it to believe it, to then know you can do it as well. Absolutely right. So I think, you know, if someone's listening to this or watching this and you're in school and you're trying to figure out, is it worth it? One of the things I talk about often and, and you know me well enough to know, like, I'm a big believer in like everything happens for a reason. So, you know, when you connect these dots and you're like, all right, so the, the program I'm in, in school, the club gets moved. I now build these relationships. But on the other side of that, you get this opportunity. I think it speaks to two things. One, right place, right time. But two, I think a consistent thread in your life and in your career is that like you must be doing something right, right? Like to, to get the opportunity to get the, the PA job with a legend, to get the opportunity to stand up 
uh, artist relations for for a tech company to get the opportunity to stand up uh, a, a festival, a South by Southwest style festival in a region that doesn't really know what that is yet and is still figuring it out, doing it remotely and then cramming it in 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 real time. You know, I think that speaks to something must have been there in you well before that, that I mean, the reason I've reached out to you every time I start a new project, even if it's just to tap in and get your opinion, right? Like you have something about you that just screams like dependability, gets his shit done, you know, will will knows how to act in the moment, right? Like to be in the room with Pharrell, to be in the room with Lenny S, to be in the room with royalty, to be like with legends it takes a certain level of not fanning out and you know internally you're losing your mind i still lose my mind every time i meet my the people i grew up listening to or watching or, or following but sure. on the outside you got to play it cool and be like oh, yeah no I'm, i know what i'm doing but you don't know what you're doing and you're figuring it out in real time so you know what what's what what do you think you have what what are the traits or attributes that you have that allow for continued success in the roles you've had I think some of them, and I do appreciate the kind words, I think some of them you've mentioned, dependability, um, getting things done when you say you're going to do them, right? Um, I think patience. I think patience is important. Um, I think communication. I think communication is probably the main one. Um, I think you learn this as an artist manager. You learn this as a PA. You definitely learn this as a tour manager, for sure. Um, Communication is so important. It's the most important piece of the whole puzzle, right? And I've always believed in, and maybe it's my own OCD or anxiety or whatever those internal drivers are, but I've always believed in over-communicating, right? When it's something really, really important, double check, right? Double confirm, triple check, make sure, just do it. It's like, get to that borderline of like being annoying. <laughs> Try not to step over the line, <laughs> Maybe you do once in a while, no big deal. You'll be forgiven, right? It's not a fatal crime, but communicate and communicate well. And now especially, right? Like a lot of these experiences that I've told you about, this was pre-smartphone, right? Some of these things were pre, everyone has on email, everyone's on. Now there's no excuse, right? Now we have these super computers in our pockets and in front of us on our desks. And everyone is, literally everyone's reachable, right? We have... 15 million ways of communicating. We have DMs, we have texts, we have email, we have a million apps, right? Communication is the most important component, I believe, in, in, in our line of work and the determination of that work ending up in success. Um, so I've always, always preached that. I've always preached that. If you know something's going to happen at a certain time, on a, at a certain day, and it's just communicate that, right? Communicate that to your team, communicate that to the partner that you're meeting with or engaging with, right? So I think communication is absolute key. Um, patience, of course, I think patience is important in, in all areas of life. Um, and I think you have to have passion, right? I think you have to love what you do. Um, and it has to be more than a job to you, right? Because that's when I think your energy will sort of become contagious. Right. And that's when others pick up on it. Right. And that's when you can kind of, that's when you can lead a team. Right. And that's when you can help people. And that's when you can really see a project to the very end and take it over the finish line. Right. So communication, patience, and passion would be my, my top three. 
I appreciate that. And, and you're absolutely right. Communication is number one. And I'm on the other spectrum of you. So uh, I am in my head a lot. And, and I assumed a lot growing up, especially in my younger days. And I realized like a lot of the opportunities that I missed were because I didn't know how to communicate. I, I didn't really learn how to communicate until I got with my wife and, and it took her kind of getting me to understand you do everything's in your head and you assume the other person thinks like you, but they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I started communicating better, it was like my life opened up because it's just something as simple as like, just hit following up with you on whatever day it was. And I was like, Hey, we still good for tomorrow. And you were like, uh, it's Friday. You know, and I was like, yep, I don't know what day it is, but, <laughs> but like, I have like a notification that I tell like, but the old me would have been like, Oh, he knows like, we're going to be Friday. And then what if you forgot Wait, or what if something yeah. happened? Right. It's like these things happen, but, but the old me would have never done that. So I, I do agree. And, and the success I've had in my career at every level, would have been multiplied if I knew how to communicate better. I mean, how many gigs did I not even get an opportunity to get or how many times not checking my email, not having my phone on me? Like there was a point in time when I just refused to carry a cell phone. Like I was just stubborn. I was like, ah, I, I don't want to be like, I, I want my own time. And then I'd come back and I'd miss like calls from like crazy opportunities and only have myself to blame where it's like, yo, that's when you call like, oh right. my God, I can't believe I missed that call. Like, you know, right. I had a potential to do a session with J. Cole years ago and just didn't have my phone for whatever reason this day. I was like, man, like, I'm not. And this is before, like, my kids were like, I didn't, like, I didn't even like, I don't know what was wrong with me. And I came back and I saw like my, somebody blew my phone up like over and over and over again. And then like, I called him back. I was like, yo, man, what's good? You all right? And they're like, you do, where you been? I've been trying to get a hold of you. J. Cole's trying to get in the studio. I was like, oh, tell him come through. They're like, man, I, I sent him somewhere else. I was like, oh my God. Like, and he's literally, I have a very short list of people I wanted to work with at the time. He was number one. Like, so that, you know, and this isn't that long ago. This is like, I don't know, seven years ago or something. So I agree that communication thing. And I'm drawn to people who communicate well. It's why, like, again, I respect how you move. I, I I always appreciate our conversations. Even your intro, which you said was a long intro, I think is the best intro I've ever gotten because you've now given me a list to run down. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> oh man. So so Wait, I'm, I'm, so did you know did the did the J. Cole thing ever happen after it that? never happened, man. Like to this day, the the day I do end up getting to work with I'm gonna be like, remember when you came to DC and you did a session? And you were trying to get in the studio that you heard about that Wale and them worked at all the time. Right. Yeah, that was me. Like I'm the guy that didn't answer his phone that day. <laughs> That's I'm that idiot. Like as a believer ooh. in what's meant to be, yeah. clearly it wasn't meant to be at the time. It wasn't it meant, to be. When probably, it's meant to be. Probably, right? probably would have dropped the ball or something. Who knows? Oh. <laughs> uh, but uh, but let me run through this. So obviously you start as a PA. You learn about tour management. Um, you get into sync licensing and you see the money there and, and I, you know, get to see the, the other side of the business. And again, at the highest level, right? Seven figure licensing to select group, but you know, select group. Yeah. I mean, and Garfunkel's catalog is used. It's like Motown. Like it's going to be used for the yeah. rest of our lives and on. Like it's just classic. Yeah. Music. Yeah. yeah. Um, you get into artist management. So, you know, after college, you're not really sure what you're going to do. You get thrown into this world that, ties the passion of music, your skill sets, you learn, you move on. Why artist management? Uh, I think the answer to that is because my initial starting point was 
personal assistant, right? And there's no clear definition or boundary or a set of guidelines for what a PA does. You literally do it all, right? And you don't get paid well, right? You get paid a little bit, but you don't get paid well. And I was the one interfacing with arts manager, right? So I was just like, immediately, I was like, wait a second, we're both doing everything that needs to be done. Only you're making 10% of these seven figure licensing checks that are coming in and these shows, but I'm getting, I'm getting a few hundred dollars a week. Um, and it just locked in for me there, right? Obviously, I knew that, you know, to make the real kind of money, you have to be managing someone massive, right? But I've always wanted to grow with, you know, I've always wanted to be like the, I don't know if it's a great example now, but at the time, I, I wanted to be like the Dame Dash to to someone's Jay-Z, right? Um, and so, because that, I then I realized that you could just, given what Dame and Jay did, right, and Biggs, it was just like they build empires, right? And they went into all these other verticals and industries. It wasn't, they didn't stop at music, right? Still to this day, um, even though they're no longer partners, right? To me, I saw the clear line from PA to manager, right? And then I was like, well, look, if I know how to be a PA and I don't mind the things that come with it, some people mind, um, then I can be a manager, right? And what better way than to find a young artist who's you know, I was young at the time too. And to find someone whom I believed in so much that I was like, look, we can invest time and a little bit of money and equity in this together and grow and build a brand and build a business, build an audience, build an empire. So that was my reasoning at the time. Don't I know if I would do it again. I don't think I would manage again. One day I'm going to have kids. And if I'm lucky to be a, a Matthew Knowles and have a have a Beyonce and a Solange, and then I have to manage them, then <laughs> but I, I just I I just just I've seen it all as a manager. And it's I mean, you'll appreciate this as a parent. It's it's quite literally being a parent, right? You're you're raising someone. Um, and so to me, it makes the most sense to just do that, right? <laughs> like if your kids are super talented and they want to be in show business, then you're their manager. <laughs> you're their manager. <laughs> I love it. No, that, that makes sense. And so I, I love that transition, right? Like, and, and I've actually never given that advice before, but I think I'll start, which is for, for someone who wants to be a, an artist manager, obviously you can learn by like getting with one of your homeboys or homegirls and, and just starting. But I do love the idea of going the PA role and kind of learning because you got to shadow his manager, right? You got to see how they interacted and, and what he did. And like you said, you stepped up as a tour manager, but I'm sure you were sharing responsibilities with his actual manager and like even had someone to ask questions when you didn't know what you were doing. So I, I do love the idea of like, if you want to be a, a real artist manager one day, if you can commit to to the grueling grind and low or no pay of a PA and crazy travel hours and basically watching someone else be the star while you're like tattling along and then you're dealing with the brunt of when they're upset or when they're not in a good mood and you're the first point of contact. But you also get exposed to so many great things. I know a lot, I mean, when I say a lot, the, the artists that I know that are at a higher level are almost always looking for PAs, it feels like. like it, I get those texts all the time from folks who are like, we need someone to, to help out. Do you have anybody? We're looking for somebody straight out of college. So that's a common thing. Sure. And I feel like if, if you're serious about being an artist manager, uh, six months to a year in that role will definitely be your, your college, your undergrad before you take on a friend or somebody. 
I mean, think about it. If 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 we can use the military as an analogy, if there was sort of like a, a, a school for managers, mm-hmm. that being a PA should be the, your boot camp, right? It should be like where you learn push-ups and you learn, you know, chain of command and things like that, right? Um, yeah, I don't know if that could ever exist. It's such a crazy business. We never tend to want to get organized so that it could exist. But that would be a boot camp in my version of this, right? Where like you start off as a someone's PA, you get assigned, deployed, and, and then you come back, you can kind of build yourself up as a manager. Um, so yeah, I totally agree with you. I agree. And as, as same with boot camp, I think that's where you'd, you'd lose a lot of people because- You would lose a lot of people as well. Yes. PA and management, right? Like I, I tried my hand at management early on and, and I knew it wasn't for me because I think a lot of the traits you have to have I just don't have. And I also, it's like you said, it's like you're raising someone, but it was also for me, like, even if I did everything right, you're still depending on the other person to do their part. Yes. And, and they, and they're the person who has to do their part. Like, yes, I can book a show or answer an email or, or set up a play, but if you don't show up, Mm -hmm. all that work is wasted. There's no, I can't step in and do your thing. Mm -hmm. And so early on for me, I realized, uh, wasn't going to work for me because I, I I just don't have the patience to do all that work and have someone be like, oh, I'm tired today. It's like, no, 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 you don't get to be tired today. You have to be who you need to be. Right. Um, and I'm sure yeah. you dealt with that. I mean, all Absolutely. managers. Oh, at every level. A thousand percent. And it's, listen, it's not for everyone. It really yeah. is. It's just not. Um, and there's so many other ways to do it. There's so many other ways to participate. You can collaborate. There's other roles. There's tour management. There's, uh, there's, you know, production design. There's like, there's, there's creative roles. There's so many, there's making the music, right? There's studio engineering, there's running studios. There's so many ways to participate in the process. Management is very unique. Like you have to have some of the things we just discussed in order to, you know, not go crazy. Right. And that other person has to be there. It has to match up because sometimes the workload doesn't match up. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I'm sure many managers feel this way. You're like, ugh, maybe it shouldn't be 2080. (laughs) Maybe it it should be more like 50, 50 Mm -hmm. like that. And of course, you know what artists are going to say to that, right? Like, well, no, it's their, it's, it's their art. It's their soul. (laughs) Right. And so maybe the conversation should be had about that paradigm changing. Maybe it should be 50 50. Maybe it should be equity partners in an actual entity. Right. Yeah. Because if your manager decides to leave, or if the manager gets fired, or if the artist manager and the artist decide to no longer work together, they, there really is nothing in that divorce. Right. There's no, yeah, there's contracts and there's sunset clauses and all that kind of stuff, but it really doesn't mean anything. Right. Like, you, yeah. OK, you walk away. Here's a few hundred dollars. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm just being facetious here. Right. But then what about all those years of work you put in? Right. At least with the tech layoffs, people have stock. Right. Yeah. We'll have severance and, and health insurance. How about that? That's another thing that like no one in the music business has. Right. Um, so it should be. I think it should be redefined. It should evolve. Yeah. It's like this. We keep this model going from the whenever it was invented, the 50s, the 60s. Right. And we're in a completely different age right now, and it should completely change. It should completely change. This isn't just to help the managers, right? For everyone listening, this is this will help the artists too. This isn't just a one-sided idea. This is this is a mutual idea because I don't think artists win a lot either when they're going from one manager to another, yeah. right? It looks like there's something wrong with them. Yeah. 
We've seen, yeah. we've seen yeah. artists change managers like like articles of clothing and you're just mm-hmm. like, wait a second, there's no, you yeah. don't really see that in the corporate world. If you saw Coca-Cola have a new CEO every two months, you'd be like, what's wrong with the, what's wrong with Coca-Cola? Something's wrong, right? Like there's, so. Dang, I love, I love that, man. And yeah, yeah. it's it's what we teach. Uh, one of the things we actually implemented with one of the artists. So I, I, it's funny, I stepped out of the manager role and I created this like business manager is what I ended up being for most people. Mm-hmm. And that basically means like, I'll help you operationally, I'll help you structurally, I'll check in with you once a month on a on a group call, but then after that, you guys rip and run. You got your day to day manager. You might have your tour manager, um, but I'll be a business manager where like I'll just make sure the business is straight. But one of the things that I did in, in act for the managers who were coming in and working on these projects with our artists was give the man give those managers points in the projects that they're a part of. Yeah. So I'd rather a manager get five percent of the publishing for the project that they put out with you because like you said even if in six months it doesn't work out and they leave for the rest of their life they should get something from the work that they put in um and and again at the level we were at with the artists we were at they were like oh yeah of course let's do it but i do love the idea of one of these songs takes off at any moment in our lifetime and that manager gets paid it's not like looking at the tv and seeing your song in a major sink and you're like man i was a part of that it's like no like no i know i'm because i'm gonna get a check I got to check for the upfront and I'm going to get a check on the back end. Right. So that, that's something uh, that, you know, we put our courses together with 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, and in one of our courses that's rolling out, I actually have that, like, the new manager structure, um, which just kind of gives, like, different definitions, different terms, different approaches, because it definitely should be treated more like a business today and not, like you said, mm-hmm. whatever existed 70 years ago versus what can exist today with tech, with transparency, with the tools we have and with the speed at which we're putting content out, th- there's no reason why it can't be fair. And to your point, if someone has equity in your situation, they work different. It, it's a, if I don't have equity and I feel like I'm one bad argument away from losing everything, mm-hmm. managers constantly are looking at like other opportunities and looking at out. If I'm invested in what I'm building, I'm going to work through it. Right. That's the difference between being married and dating. That it, it does change things. But people say, what's the difference? When you're dating, you can always look on the other side and say, well, if this doesn't work, I can go here. When you're married, there's a vested interest that it still may not work out, but you're going to go through everything before it doesn't work out. Yeah, hopefully, right? Hopefully. Let me ask you a question. How do you think, by the way, I totally agree as far as like tying in a manager or someone who was in that sort of role into the equity of publishing or Mm -hmm. the sound recording copyright, right? But let's say that song is the next Uptown Funk, right? Mm-hmm. Like one of the biggest records on earth. How do you think the artists, the people who actually played the instruments and wrote the songs, and how do you think that artist is going to feel when they know, oh, 5% of this you know what is going to go to is they will, na- they will naturally feel like, they, they, like, oh, man, I gave up too much. <laughs> the challenge for all managers, and, and when I speak to my manager friends, some of them that we know together, it's like it's a diminishing return on appreciation. In the beginning, when the artist isn't, they're not Bruno Mars. They don't have an uptown funk. They don't have any labels going after them. There is no opportunity. And someone is putting their time, energy, and a lot of times money into something that has not even a guarantee, but probably doesn't have a chance of winning. 
the artist is super appreciative in the beginning, right? And that's any relationship. Like, oh man, like we're in this together. We're, we're, we're family, we're this, we're that. But as that artist gets bigger, and this happens every time, and as now people are starting to pay attention, and now your phone's ringing, and now you got the blue check, and now there's a few more zeros behind your Instagram, and now all these things are happening, that manager that at the beginning was, who was the only person I really believed and was putting in money, time, and energy, whatever they did that was worth a nine out of 10 two years ago, now two years worth a nine out of a thousand. It's still a nine, but it's just, everything else has grown. And right. so the reason I try to create the relationship and I'll, I, again, I didn't take the percentages because like my thing was, I'm gonna teach you guys how to do this, but I'm gonna teach you how to do this. So you guys go and make this the new standard. It's not about me trying to get points. And the only way I can prove to you is like, don't give me the 5%, give it to them. Because if that becomes the Uptown Funk record and that person ends up making $3 million in their lifetime for the little bit of energy they put in, in your opinion, as an artist, as your manager, I believe that you don't get that Uptown Funk opportunity if they don't do what they did at some point. Right. And so that's, you know, it's, it's, it's always going to be that, you know, diminishing return on appreciation. Right. But I would argue with any artist that at one point in time, you would have given up much more than 5% to that person if it never was an Uptown Funk record. So you can't, right, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't say, man, I give you 20% or 50% when it's nothing. But if it blows up, I only want to give you 1%. It's like, no, you either value me at this or you don't value me at all. Right. And these no, are some of the things that we've got to like, these are the processes we're putting together now. It's like, how do you onboard a manager? How do you onboard an artist? Like I've created like a step-by-step -step checklist right. for an artist to ask questions and a manager to ask questions. And you've got to align at day one. If, if it doesn't feel right at day one, don't do it. Right. Right. That, that's the beauty of it. Right. If, if it doesn't, you don't have to do anything, but if mm -hmm. it doesn't align at day one, if you're like, man, I really don't feel like giving up any percentage to any manager. I'd rather, them just get a retainer or i'd rather them get a percentage on revenue they bring in right which is a more standard approach then if your manager is not comfortable with that and you're not comfortable with that they're not the manager for you right but if, if you're comfortable on the day one do it and then stick by it stick by your word as you said like if you say you're going to do this do it because the goal hopefully is that i help you get an uptown funk record mm -hmm. I, I want five percent of the biggest record i don't want five percent of the smallest record We'll take one percent of Uptown Funk. <laughs> so, but I think that the industry is definitely changing. The tech and, and the technology that's out there um, is going to help with that change. And I just think that this generation that's coming up only knows the new. Like they're so removed, like you said, from the standing in the, the CD store to buy CDs, or even looking at the back of a album to see who met. Like they know who produced the record because they follow that person on social media. Like it's just different today. So I think the value across the board, managers are, are more known now than they were before. So I, I could see things changing. And I think even with the work you did at Clive Davis, I remember when, when you gave me the tour, the Institute, the respect you had from the students was like something I really appreciated. And I know you believe in a lot of these things. So I know while you were there, you were sharing different yeah. approaches to the business with people who are now in the business. So I think the more we see that happening, we're 10, 15 years away from a completely different industry than we've ever seen. You think so? I do. Yeah. I, I really do. Because I, because the, the, 
not only do people have the information, but I think education is changing. I think with yeah. what, what you're doing, with what I'm doing, with with what, I mean, think about Saudi Arabia is doing. They did three days of teaching and then three days of partying. They yep. separated the two for a reason because they understand you can only do more partying if more people understand how this works. And That's the right. people who are teaching how it works aren't all coming with an old way of doing it. There are a lot of people now who are saying, I think there's other ways we can do this. Not right. to shit on the old way, but we have options now. And so the beauty of, of these emerging markets, the Saudi Arabia, you know, I'm wearing my Liberia, nothing. You know, I spent a lot of time in West Africa, and it's very similar in what you were saying about what's happening in Saudi Arabia. There is no industry. Right. It's, it's, it's brand new. It's, it's in its infant stages. So the people who are going there and putting together conferences and events and studios and venues aren't following an old model. They're learning from people who are coming with new ideas. Right. And I just think that's so cool that like, so we're, we're going to see a change. Cool. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to take too much more of your time, brother. I want to, I want to touch on, I got to touch on the Maggie Rogers. Obviously, you know, I know it was a viral moment. I know it was a special moment for you because it really came out of your baby. Um, and I remember even then you were, one of your concerns was you were like, you know, Maggie's the face of this program and that's cool, but everybody who's come to this program could have been her. That was something you said that that stuck with me that day. Um, you left the school, but but what do you think is the state of teaching the, the next generation of, and I won't even go to artists, I'll say managers, I'll say the you, the next Marat, what, how is that person learning right now? And what do you think the state of that music business education world is? Gosh, what a great question. Um, I think first and foremost, the schools need to bring in new teachers, right? They need to have the legends there. You have to have Bob Power there, right? And I'm just using Bob as an example, right? Because we talked about him earlier. But we need you, right? We need the people who were with me out in Saudi, right? We need a diverse, a young group of doers, right? Who haven't written the textbooks, right? No one's reading textbooks. People are watching YouTube. People are on TikTok, Insta, Reels, all that sort of stuff, right? So number one, I think an entirely new generation needs to come in, right? Respect to the old generation. There's still room for them. We're not kicking them to the curb. That's not what I'm saying at all. There's room for both, right? We need to take some of that wisdom. We need to take some of that knowledge and that institutional knowledge that some of the legendary folks have. We need to transition that into the new wave. And then we can teach that, right? And so the second portion of that would be that these schools need to become more accessible, mm -hmm. right? NYU is not very accessible, right? It's incredibly difficult to get into. It's incredibly expensive to afford. You come out of it quite literally with a quarter million dollars in debt, right? And there's no job in music that supports that, right? Um, we need to open those doors, right? We need to knock down those gates, open those doors. And I don't mean this has to happen at NYU. This could happen. This could happen 24-7. This is happening 24-7. This could happen with Venice, with what Troy is building, right? There's so many entities that are trying to do this, right? So we need a, we need to let in a generation of new teachers, right? We need to break down the doors for the students to come in, right? And we need to start learning from each other, right? Some of the things that I've seen in the classroom is just very old and archaic. It just doesn't happen anymore, right? The industry has changed so much. It's continuously changing. 
And we need folks to stay with that change, to be on that wave, to sort of surfing is a good example, right? To stay on that wave, right? As it changes, we change what we're teaching. And the creators and the artists and the, the business folks who want to help the creators and the artists, they're able to move with those changes as well, right? So I think barrier to entry has to change, right? Accessibility has to change. Cost has to change. There's no reason this has to cost this much money. It's already so difficult to get there, right? That was why I was no disrespect, no shots at Maggie whatsoever. I'm super happy for her. That's why I said what I said, right? Because the filter was so high for you to even get to the Clive Davis Institute. And I knew that because I was sort of a few years ahead of it. I looked after our high school programs and those were the precursors. Those were the talent pipelines, right? Some of the best students that went into the program came out of those high school programs. And some of the best students in those high school programs couldn't go into the program. Yeah. They couldn't go because their grades weren't great, right? That's another thing. It's sort of this creativity side is matched up with a school education system that is totally out of date. Let's not even begin on that subject, right? Yeah. That's a whole other clusterfuck, right? Um, but it's so difficult to get there, right? You have to be so good, right? You have to be so amazing that when you do, that at any point in time in the hallways of the Clive Davis Institute with 40 something students, 60, however it is now, it's not a lot. It's super boutique and super small. And there's like 40, 50 Maggie's walking around, right? <laughs> it was just that this moment happened when a, a creator, an artist was sharing a song with a super massive name, like a Pharrell and mountains moved, right? It was captured on camera and it was placed in the right YouTube video. And that YouTube video came out on the right channel and someone on Reddit posted it and said something crazy and all these things had to happen, right? Which is just quite literally luck. We've, we were under the impression that no one would ever watch this. We thought we created this like really nerdy masterclass, right? Because <laughs> it was nerdy. It was Bob Power and Pharrell, right? Um, and we thought no one would see it. We thought it was too long. We, we, didn't, we weren't like thrilled with the quality of it. We really didn't have that much control, right? So we were just like, all right, let's just run with it. The right people will see it. We'll embed it everywhere. We'll post it on our social channels. We'll like send it out with a press release. And of course, we couldn't get people to stop seeing it, right? Um, and that's what I meant by that. I was saying that because I've seen it after many years of being there, of how talented you have to be, how good you have to be, how incredible you have to be to get there. And so there was just like, we were desensitized to it. Like everyone had Alaskas, right? Yeah. Not, not literally, but like everyone had really dope music and art they were making every single day. It was just, can they find that platform where that platform will provide them an opportunity to meet an audience and grow an audience, right? Well, in this particular example, Maggie found that platform in that one moment that was on camera, right? Yeah. You know, Nisha found that platform by being in the right rooms, songwriting and producing and collaborating and that was her pathway right take a day trip they have their own story right of how they met uh of how they met little nas x and the artists that they worked with prior to him and the artists that they're working with now right so everyone kind of has that through point but it does take a village and that village can be built that village can be built it could be assembled there's funding behind there's funding available to fund that village um, and when I say that village, I mean that generation of new teachers, right? But with respect to the legendary, the timeless folks, because the new teachers learn from them and the new teachers can now teach this new wave of artists and creators who may just think differently, right? right. Because they're growing up with a different set of skill sets, right? Better, worse, we don't know, 
right? We have no idea. We have no way to measure it, right? We don't know what a generation that grew up with the internet already in existence, we don't know what that means, right? We also don't know what that means if you grow up and your entire life has been documented. Mm -hmm. Like mine and your baby pictures aren't on Instagram somewhere, right? But we have friends who like really are, you know, excited about their kids and have been posting their kids since like the day of birth. Mm-hmm. Like well, that kid is 20, <laughs> right? Their entire life is documented. What does that mean? Right? I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying we don't know what that means yet. We're about to find out. Right? So we have to take those things into account. That plays on our psyche in some way, right? We have to take that into account in terms of how art is made how creativity exists in this new sort of generation, right? And we're only going forward. We're not going backwards. Now it's AI and it's like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and then it's just, what's next? We yeah. don't know. We have no idea. So I think we need to build those villages. We need to provide accessibility. We need to knock down those barriers. We need to swing open the doors, right? And I think that's when we can have something that, you know, we could be proud of. Man, I love that answer. I agree 100%. Um, I, I will openly, I mean, you already know anything I'm a part of, you are a part of it. But, I, you know, we'll, we'll connect because I think in your, you you don't stay a free agent long. Like that, that's my challenge with you. I'll have a combo and then like two weeks later, I'll be like, what you up to? Like, man, I'm the head of this. I'm like, oh, let's go. But even in your free time, um, with everything we're doing at 247, I definitely need you involved. Uh, even if it's just continuing to be an eye and an ear um, and making sure we're doing right by by the creators and the artist community. Um, because we, you know, one of the things when we were redesigning our website and one of the bold statements at the bottom is our education is free, right? And and it's funny when I was going out and meeting with investors and I had people telling me like, no, you got to charge you guys. And I'm like, no, 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 like you don't, you're missing it. Like we're going to give them the tools, we're going to give them the community, but the education has to be free because that's the only way the tools in the community work. If, if I create that barrier here, I'm not solving the problem. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I want to, my goal personally is to build a, a library of resources and, and content and, and education, masterclasses and webinars and podcasts that people learn from. And mm-hmm. you have to always do it because like you said, things are constantly changing. So this is going to be great. And there's some evergreen stuff in this convo. But in three years, something we said won't make sense. And, and we'll hopefully have another combo then. And someone will be like, oh, man, in part one, he said this. But part two, he said that. Like, yeah. that's, that's what we have to do. And and so you're, you know, you're a part of it. I think you're in one of our decks even already. So oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I love everything you just said, except for the three-year part, because I hope we don't have to wait that long to. You won't. I can't believe it's been since 2018. That's wild. <laughs> but to be fair, we, we all lost two and a half years of our life, which is crazy. Um, that said, man, I'm, I'm not going to take any more of your time. The last question that I ask everybody is you could give a piece of advice to, and I'll go to just graduated Marat. If you could go back or just write a note that someone could hand to that person. And, and so knowing that that's who you're writing a note for, but there are a million more used now and a million more to come. Yeah. What advice would you give to recently graduated Marat? who's now facing this new world and, and entering the, the business? Oh my gosh. Of course, the most difficult question of all time. Um, I don't know. I think maybe I'll go with, 
be a good person, be a kind person, be a person of your word and follow your heart and everything will work out. Maybe worry less. And I know that's an impossible thing, right? Like you're telling yourself that in the past. Meanwhile, you're like super worried about like what's going to happen tomorrow. But maybe I would say to my, to my younger self, everything will work out. I would, I would agree. How deep that was for you. <laughs> no, no, that was perfect. I would, I, I would agree if I were there and I could nudge, I'd be like, yo, trust me. I've seen it. It works out for you. Like, yeah. don't worry. Like, because it's, you know, like you said, a year ago, if I were to say, dude, you about to be in Saudi Arabia, putting together a crazy festival and traveling the Middle East and seeing things that not, you know, 99% of the world will never see. You'd be like, you do. What are you talking about? But yeah. if I also went back to seventeen-year-old you and said, "Yo, you're gonna go on the road with our, our Garfunkel and like meet legends and and venue owners and managers and, and be in the rooms with people," or you're gonna work with Clyde Davis and his daughter and like build uh, a like work for NYU, like one of the biggest schools in the world. Like, think of your life and all the things you've done, and think of the moments before where you were like, "Yo, what's even right now?" And in, in this combo, you said, "I don't know what's next." But I know you. I know that I'm going to hit you in the next two months and be like, hey, bro, can you get on the call? I want to run something past you. Be like, man, you know, I'm in Australia helping Kylie Minogue. Do this. It's like, whatever you're going to do next. So um, I'm building a conference in Iran. Uh, <laughs> and one day that should happen, right? Like, it should happen. I, I definitely am going to need your help because West Africa definitely needs this. Yes. Um, the, the talent and, you know, music is a part of of the 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 fabric, the fiber of the people in West Africa, in Africa in general, but West Africa where I go, and for these countries that are developing, it's like I'm trying to get the leaders there to see like this dot of like, if you, and then I hope, I'm gonna send this video to a few people to say, look what he said that Saudi Arabia did. Like, if yeah. you just put your resources into the culture, everything follows culture. And, mm -hmm. and America has proven that. Like America built its entire country off of culture and we're a world leader for that reason. So. I'm definitely going to call on you for that. But well before then, we'll do some stuff for 247. You always know I'm in your corner. Anything you ever do, I'm, I'm, I'm a full supporter. Um, I will get my visa and I'll be there next year because I'm, I'm claiming it for you. You will be head of something in Saudi Arabia <laughs> later this year. And I will be right there with you partying sure. and TT sure. or I'll be in PA. Whatever you need me to do, let me learn. That sounds good. And thank you so much. Same same to you. Um, I've always been a huge supporter of everything you've done and any way I can help or uh, contribute. I'm, I'm, I'm a phone call. I'm a text message away. You know that. Brother Murad, I appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much for this. For sure. Thank you, my brother. Appreciate you, man. All right, yo. All right. Be well. Talk soon. Yes, sir.